Hey everyone. As we concluded the Transform Sermon Series this week, I wanted to stop and include a special topic for us to be considering how this series can impact our community life. Whether you've been meeting each week and discussed the sermon so far, or you haven't met at all this month, I would encourage that when you do get together next for discussion, that you bring together the topics from this series, especially the final topic on cultivating a culture of care, as our communities are the front lines for how we set and experience this culture. I've posted some questions and possible next steps to our city group, so as you prepare for that discussion, please do make use of them. Obviously, there are implications from each of the sermons in this series for us and community that we should and can hope in Jesus for real heart-level change, that we can and should be changed by the power of the gospel, even when it means letting go of our idols, and that we need others around us to encourage us, to exhort us, to bear our burdens with us. It's this last topic that I wanted to talk through with you all in some detail today. Specifically, how do we cultivate this culture of caring for one another in our communities? I would propose this. We are building this kind of community when we take a humble posture of actively leaning towards rather than leaning away from those who are hurting, seeking their good. And like it, I would say we experience this kind of community when others actively pursue us in humility, seeking our good. In order to build and experience this kind of community, we as leaders must take action. One of the things that I hear all the time that people notice that is unique and awesome about our communities and DCC in general is our follow-up. I've heard numerous stories where somebody was encouraged because someone else in their community reached out to them when they noticed they hadn't been around for a few weeks, or when someone in community offered to set up a meal train for them in a hard season. For this to be the case, we have to take this active posture to pursue those around us. We have to take the initiative to reach out, or to coordinate meals, or even to make the invitation to return. As leads, that can mean keeping up on who's been around and who's been missing and reaching out, or coordinating with the women's discipleship lead, or your apprentice, or your connector to reach out, likely some combination of all of the above. Another part of being an active caregiver, if you will, to others in the body is that we practice active listening. This is an area that I'm still growing in, and I've been benefited by reading Edward Welsh's Caring for One Another. He says, active listening is that we are first engaged, meaning that we're processing what they're saying. Second, we're undistracted, meaning we're physically and emotionally present. And three, that we're responsive, meaning that we validate the experiences and the emotions of the person sharing with us, and we express empathy in our response. He describes this as personal care, which follows a general rule that when someone shares something meaningful with you, that you respond with something. For example, if someone shares a great success, then we respond with a congratulations or an expression of praise. If someone shares a hardship, then we express empathy in responding with a statement of understanding. And part of our response in either case should be to pray right then and there, as well as between occasions together, and then check in with them later at some point, whether that's in text or over coffee or when you see them next in community. The practice of praying for one another and asking for others to pray for you is an active part of our caring for each other. Now, as I talk about this, you may be tempted to think that this, is, this kind of care is really not your style or your personality. Perhaps it may not even be your gifting. But what we see in Galatians chapter 5 and 6 is that this kind of care for one another is a gift as a fruit of the Spirit for each of those who belong to Christ. Think about this familiar passage as I read it, which immediately precedes the instructions to bear one another's burdens. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so it is not the case that you who are spiritual refers to some varsity Christians or simply to the leaders, but rather to every Christian who belongs to Christ and is walking by the Spirit. And this passage highlights the posture of heart that we should have towards one another as we seek to bear one another's burdens. I can't see anything in these nine qualities that would hinder our relationships, but rather that as we operate them, we become more like Christ. May we seek to care for one another in love and joy and peace, not begrudging or in duty. May we seek to love with patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, we ourselves not being rushed or critical or harsh, and also self-control, that we would be slow to speak. So for us as leaders, I can see uh, two other applications. First, as leaders, we know that the burden does not rest solely on us, but rather that we are co-laboring with the rest of the body to build itself up in love. Paul describes this building up in Ephesians 4.15 this way. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Secondly, as leaders, we do have a unique role in which we get to set the tone and model by our example for this kind of caring culture. How we lean into hardship, how we listen, how we pursue those in our communities is at the same time teaching those in our communities to do the same. And we often overlook this part. We also set the tone and model by example how to share our burdens and receive the gracious and encouraging words of others and prayer in our communities. There's a temptation for us as leaders to feel like we cannot share our struggles as if we should have it all figured out. But every doctor knows that even doctors need doctors. And so too with us as believers, we need other believers to help encourage and strengthen us. The same is true for us as leaders. Proverbs 27.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so, if you find yourself in need of care in your community, don't be afraid to model appropriate confession and honesty with your struggles and ask for others to pray for you. Not only will this help you receive the care that you need in the moment, but you'll also be teaching the community what it looks like to do these things, to ask for care, and also giving them a chance to practice their care which then builds even further this culture. Craig quoted Edward Welch saying that this kind of care that's marked by the sharing of real joys, hurts, and sins happens in seasoned relationships marked by love. It's only when I feel loved and safe am I going to open up to others. And so we want to facilitate that reality of love and safety in our communities. That's why we talk about our communities with the language of meaningful, discipling relationship, and why as a church we want people to know each other and be known by others. We've talked about this particular balance before, uh, but it's worth restating that when we talk about being a safe place, 
it's different than what the culture around us means by safe place. The culture around us means a safe place is somewhere where you can come as you are and are accepted and affirmed as you are. But for the church to be a safe place that lovingly addresses our sin and calls us to faithful repentance, we aim to be a different kind of safe place. Our safe place is one where you can still come as you are and confess your sins and know that you will be lovingly encouraged to seek Christ in order not that you would stay the same, but that you would grow and be made more like him. Said differently, the church and our communities shouldn't be a place that wink at or accept or affirm sin, but in love to be a place where sin can be safely and faithfully brought into the light so that it might be forgiven and that we might be changed and made more into Christ's image. Lastly, I wanted to propose a few possible next steps. On the leadership front, as you prepare for your discussions, I would encourage you not to be afraid to incorporate meaningful questions as icebreakers, or even set aside a a time in your agenda for a a regular check-in. I've seen some communities have this regular question of what evidences of God's grace have you seen in this last week? And that has produced a regular recognition of God's grace in their lives, as well as helping to build meaningful relationships between everyone. You could also use questions about change, specifically something like, Can you think of a time when God changed you? And good news there, everyone who is a Christian should have at least one experience of a time when God changed them. Or something similar like, what has Jesus been teaching you in this season? Of course, questions like these are by nature more personal than the traditional icebreakers, and so they may take more time to think of and to share. I would just say to plan accordingly if you're going to use questions like that. Another possible next step would be for anyone in your community that's been struck with conviction over a particular sin during the series. I'd highly recommend that they work through the book You Can Change by Tim Chester in their DGs. This book provides uh, the personal reflection to identify a sin pattern and a change project that you begin to work through, which is perfect for our discipleship group context. And if folks aren't yet in a DG, this is another chance to invite them uh, into that. Thirdly, if you're feeling that the nature of caring for one another is something that your community as a whole could grow in, then I'd recommend reading together as a community this short book by Edward Welch that I keep mentioning, Caring for One Another. Craig referenced this book in this last series. It's designed to be read together and discussed in a group over eight weeks. It has very short chapters and discussion questions, so you don't need to pre-read it in advance or prepare any of the discussions, all self-contained. If you'd like to do this with your community, let me know. I can order the books in bulk for a discount. So, friends, my prayer is that we as a body would be built up through this series and that our communities would continue to grow into places of meaningful discipling relationships where folks can come as they are and meet Jesus and be transformed more and more into his image. Would you please pray with me now? Father, thank you for caring for us in Jesus. Thank you for teaching us how to care for others and for your spirit that enables us to do so. I pray that we as leaders in our communities would be experiencing more and more of the fruit of the spirit in our lives and that we would be operating out of them to care for others. I pray that our communities would continue to grow and love and care for one another through this series. And I pray that you would continue to build up your church through the relationships and communities as you've promised in your word. We pray this all in Jesus name. Amen.